Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. This morning, we're going to jump right in. Uh, today, we pick up where we left off two weeks ago and we close out the chapter of John chapter 21 and therefore close out the book of John. Uh, the last time we were here in John 21, we discovered that Jesus revealed to Peter the kind of death that he would die on a cross to glorify him when he was old. We read verses 18 and 19, which says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And so we pick up today in verses 20 through 25. And remember the last thing that Jesus told Peter. He told him, follow me at the end of verse 19. Follow me. Let's jump right in. As I said, let's grab your Bibles and let's get ready to go. John chapter 21 verses 20 through 25. We're going to pray and then we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is amazing, that your word is life. And Lord, we embrace it this morning. We're excited to be able to gather together virtually online to come around the, the reading and the teaching of your word. And Father, as always, we pray, Lord, that every time that the scriptures are opened, that, that we would leave transformed, that we would not leave in the same way before the scriptures were opened. So, Father, we thank you for transforming us through the opening of your word. We thank you for your spirit that is with us where, wherever we are. We thank you that your spirit is able to speak to us and to teach us. So we thank you, Lord, for the journey that we've had in John uh, 21 and the journey that we've had in, in the book of John, at least the latter part of the book. We thank you so much for everything that you've spoken to us uh, through the latter half of this book. And Lord, we're excited as we conclude it today. Holy Spirit, we love you. We bless you. And we give this time into your hands. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen and amen. John 21, 20 through 25. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen and amen. Let me summarize the text real quick and highlight some important lessons. 
Number one, a disciple of the Lord knows that he is loved by God. A disciple of the Lord knows that he is loved by God. A disciple of the Lord follows God and a disciple of the Lord testifies. A disciple of the Lord knows that he is loved by God. A disciple of the Lord follows God and a disciple of the Lord testifies. So a disciple of the Lord, he knows that he is loved by God. My question to you this morning is, do you know that you are loved by God? Do you know that without a shadow of a doubt this morning? Because any and every disciple of the Lord, they know that they are loved by God, as John knew this to be true. Second, number two, a disciple of the Lord follows God. Do you this morning, do you follow him? Are you following the Lord? A disciple of the Lord, number three, testifies. And the question to you this morning is, do you testify? Is this so real to you on the inside of you that it just oozes out of you that you have to testify and you have to tell people about this truth? That's how we summarize the passage this morning. Know that you're loved, follow the Lord, and testify. Now let's dive in and look at the text verse by verse. Verse 20, then Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Okay, so listen to this. In in verse 19, the last thing that Jesus told Peter, remember, was follow me. So I see Peter right now who, who's literally following Jesus, right? He's, he's walking with him. Jesus told him, follow me, follow me now, follow me later, walk with me, follow my footsteps and walk in my way. So Peter is literally walking with Jesus. Peter is following Jesus, but then he gets distracted. He, he shifts his focus, maybe even stops walking and he turns around and he turns around and he sees John back there. He turns around and he sees, he sees John. Let's pause there for a moment. Now, I love the faith of John. He's the disciple who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember, a a disciple of the Lord knows that he is loved by God. And John is the disciple who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love, (laughs) I love that. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, think about, you know, the disciple whom, whom Jesus loved and how, how profound that, that statement is. And I could preach an entire sermon on that. Maybe one day I will, right? But the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is so profound and so amazing and so and so simple. But the fact that he would say this about himself means that he was aware of this revelation and that he was aware of this truth. Now, remember, um, moving on, you know, I, I wonder if if Peter and John, when I look at the text and as I was studying this, you know, I thought to myself, I wonder if there was some kind of uh, rivalry 
or some kind of uh, competition between Peter and and John. They were good friends and they had some competition stuff going on in their own lives, at least from Peter's point of view. John, he was the disciple who Jesus loved. John was the disciple that laid his head on the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper. John was the disciple who stayed close to Jesus when Peter denied him three times. John was the disciple who had a front row seat at the crucifixion. He was in the the blood splatter zone. He was right there in the front when Jesus was being crucified, when Jesus' siblings were not even present. And the Bible doesn't tell us of any of the other disciples being present. John is the only disciple who's actually mentioned at being present at the crucifixion of Jesus. So John was that disciple. He was the disciple mentioned at the crucifixion. He was close enough to Jesus to hear Jesus say the words to Mary, woman, behold your son. Now, think about that too for a moment, right? Jesus is speaking to his mother, Mary, and he says to her, he says, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. Now, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was not the the son of Mary. If you didn't know that, when, when Jesus said, woman, behold your son, that was not mother and son, but Jesus was literally entrusting uh, his, his disciple, John, into the care of his mother or the other way around. He was entrusting the care of his mother into the disciple of John's hands. And when you think about that, that just amazes me. Jesus loved John so much and he entrusted his mother's care into his hands. That's how much he loved his mother and that's how much he loved John. John was also the disciple who outran Peter. Remember after the resurrection when they heard that that Jesus was risen and they ran to the tomb? Well, John was the disciple that outran Peter and got to the tomb first before Peter. John was the disciple that recognized the voice of his master when they were on the boat after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus said, have you any food? And Jesus said, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they cast their net on the right side of the boat. And John was the disciple who recognized Jesus's voice and said to Peter, he said, it is the Lord. And then Peter put on his outer garment and dived into the sea and and began to swim toward Jesus. And I wonder, you know, if even when Peter jumped into the water to swim toward Jesus, um, was it only motivated by Peter's love for Jesus? I know that Peter loved Jesus just as John did, but was this Peter trying to get to the shore before John could get into the arms of Jesus? I often wonder. So maybe there was a little competition thing going on between Peter and John, at least from the side and perspective of Peter. But again, Peter and John, they both loved Jesus but there may have been this little competition thing going on. This is just my personal thoughts. Um, so let's let's unpause right now. So Peter is following Jesus. He's walking with him, but then he gets distracted. He shifts his focus, we see here. Maybe even stops walking and he turns around and he sees John. Verse 21. Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, 
What about this man? Jesus had told Peter, remember in verses 18 and 19, Jesus had told Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And now Peter wants to know, well, uh, okay, Jesus, you told me that I'm about to be crucified for you. Okay, that's, that's cool. I'm going to be crucified for you. That's how I'm going to die. But what about John? But what about John? I'm going to die for you then most certainly John's going to die for you. I mean, if I'm dying for you, then I know that John's dying for you too. And if I'm going to be crucified, then how on earth will John die for you? So tell me, Lord, how is he going to die for you? I want to know how John will die. And I want you to tell me that right now. Tell me, Lord, how will John die for you? And Jesus responds basically by saying, mind your own business. Run your own race. His response is found in verse 22. That's not exactly what he said, but in verse 22, his response is found. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter wants to compare his death with John's death. And Jesus is like, don't worry about how he will die. Don't compare your death to his. In fact, what if I don't even want him to die at all? Like Enoch, who walked with God no more. Or like uh, Elijah, who was caught up in a chariot of fire. What if I don't even want John to die at all, but I want him to remain until I come? What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. You follow me was one of the first commands Jesus gave to a would-be disciple in John chapter 1 and verse 43. Now it's the last command that Jesus gives to a bought-in disciple in John 21 verses 19 and verse 22. Being a disciple of Jesus still and always means following after him. Being a disciple of Jesus still and always means following after him. So what is it to follow Christ, to follow Christ in simple, practical terms. Let me give you three points. To follow Christ is number one, you must repent. To follow Christ, number one, you must first repent, which is to turn away from your sin, to turn 180 degrees. I was going in this direction and now after following Christ, I'm going in this direction to repent. Number one, you must repent. Number two, you must die to self. Your flesh wants to live. Your flesh wants to be in charge daily and you must die to self. And then number three, you must serve him. 
you must serve him. What are your giftings? What are your giftings? What are your talents? What has God gifted you with? What has God placed in your hands? What are the talents that he's given to you? And are you using them in order to serve him? So number one, to follow him, you must repent. Number two, you must die to self. And number three, you must serve him with your gifts and with your talents. That's what it means to follow him. Repent, die to self, serve him. Okay, so let's, let's look back at this uh, comparing thing. Again, we're still in verse 22. Let's look back again at this comparing thing that may be going on here. Jesus says, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Peter is comparing himself to John and Jesus is correcting him for that. We are commanded in scripture not to compare ourselves to others and to run our own race. That is the command throughout scripture. Don't compare yourself to one another and run your own race. Let me give you a couple examples. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For who the for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run our own race that has been set before us. Let us stay in our lane. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says this, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Selah. Let me tell you why you are not wise in comparing yourself to another. The problem with comparing yourself to an individual is that people just like you go through seasons. And each season in that a man or woman's life, each, each season in their life is temporary. So we go through seasons in life and each season is temporary. So in other words, in which season of her life are you comparing yourself to? What season of her life is she in when you compare yourself to her? And what part of your life are you comparing to another? Let me give you an example here. If you compared yourself to Joseph while he was in the pit, 
If you compare yourself, if, if you compared yourself to Joseph while he was in the pit that his brothers threw him in, or while he was wrongfully accused and spent some time in prison, you may be pretty encouraged and think that you yourself are doing pretty well and that you are doing so much better with your dreams than he was doing with his. But if you compared yourself with King Solomon, you may be discouraged when you realize that you lack wisdom, influence and wealth in comparison to him. You were quite happy and content with your wealth until you discovered that you as a grown, successful businessman only have a tiny fraction of the wealth that he had. You have less than 0.000001% of the wealth that Solomon had. Your wealth is as poverty when compared to King Solomon's wealth. However, as time goes by, Joseph is released from the prison and he ends up in the palace. He is exalted in the land of Egypt and he is only second to Pharaoh when it comes to power and authority. And then Solomon, who you thought would be the happiest man on earth and the most satisfied man in the world, he says that all that he has, all his wealth and all his wisdom is meaningless. He says it's all meaningless. Why? Well, his heart turned from the Lord and Solomon actually said these words. Solomon actually said that he hated life. Wow. The man who had it all, all of the wealth, the riches, the wisdom, the women, he had it all. And we chase after just a tiny fraction of what he had because we believe that if we just have a tiny fraction of what he had, that we would be satisfied. And Solomon is saying to you and I today, he's screaming and he's saying to you, it is all meaningless and none of it satisfies without the Lord. And Solomon literally said that he hated life. We didn't see that coming, King Solomon. No one saw that, that coming. <clears throat> I said all that to say, don't compare yourself to others for you are not omniscient. You don't know all things and you have no idea what season of life the person you are comparing yourself to is in. You don't even know if they like their life, if they enjoy their life. And I look at Robin Williams, a man who I loved to watch as a kid, a man who made so many people laugh and brought happiness to so many homes. And we had no idea that he himself was sad and battling with severe depression. 
And uh, Robin Williams hated his life so much that he took his life at the age of 63. A man who brought so much happiness and made so many people laugh. A man who I loved as a kid, a great actor, but he himself was sad. Many wanted to, to be like him, but he himself was sad so much so that he decided at 63 that he hated his life so much that death was better than life for him and he took his own life at 63 years old. And by the way, if there's any one of you that is dealing with, battling with, struggling with suicidal tendencies or suicidal thoughts, I would love to, I would be honored to sit down with you and talk with you and I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. There is a reason why you are here. You are not here by chance. I want you to know that there are so many resources out there for you. There's so much help that's available for you. And I want to encourage you today to not give up hope, but to give God a chance. I want you to know that there is hope for you and I would be honored to sit down with you, to talk with you, to to listen to you, to to pray with you, to uh, to do whatever I can to to serve you during this this season. But I want you to know that you are loved, and please do not give up hope. When you compare yourself to whoever, you have no idea. If they are getting ready to transition from the season they were in when you compared yourself to them. Are they at the beginning of their race or toward the end of their race? Are they satisfied? Are they content? Do they have peace? How much debt do they have? Isn't it easy for a man with no debt to compare himself to a man who is sinking in his debt? and yet somehow feel like he is unsuccessful. In 1 Kings 20 and verse 11, I love what the king of Israel says to the king of Syria, a younger man who he's about to engage with in battle. And he says this to him, he says, let not the man who just put on his armor boast like the man who has already taken his off. Let not the man who's just put on his armor boast like the man who's already taken his off. In what season are you comparing yourself to another? At the beginning of their race or toward the end of their race? Verse 23, Then this saying went out among the brethren, that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now, listen, apparently this, this rumor that was going around was a believable one. If there was one disciple that would not die, we all know that it would have been John. John was a faithful disciple and he outlived every other disciple and he was entrusted to make known God's secret 
things. God unveiled the things to John and gave him great revelation, including specific signs that would happen at the very end of the age. Many credible sources say that they tried to kill John, but they could not. Many credible sources, they say that they tried to kill John, but they literally could not kill the man. They say that John was arrested in Ephesus and faced martyrdom for his unwavering and bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that he was taken and thrown into a basin of boiling oil. They took him and they threw him into a basin of boiling oil. However, according to tradition, he did not die and was miraculously delivered from that event. Therefore, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. As an old man, he died of natural causes, is what many say. Tradition tells us that John died peacefully and as an old man of natural causes. Some think that John probably died on the Isle of Patmos, but others believe he was released and died as an old man somewhere in Turkey, peacefully. So it was probably a good thing for Peter not to know how John would die. I think um, maybe Peter would be a little upset if he knew that John would die peacefully and that he would be crucified on a cross. Um, so maybe it was a good thing that, that Peter didn't know how, how John would die, if indeed that is how, how John died. And I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of kidding with that, right? We have no idea how Peter would have reacted to that. But we know that it wasn't for Peter to know how John would die. That we know is true. Also, uh, interestingly, the, the average life expectancy back in those days, me being generous here, was actually between 40 to 45 years. And again, that's me being generous. Some say the average life expectancy was between the age of 30 to 35. But the average life expectancy was somewhere between 40 to 45 years. And John wrote the book of John, many believe, um, around 90 years of age. So John wrote this gospel that we're now reading, John 21, that we're now in. Uh, many believe that he was around 90 when, when he wrote uh, the gospel of John. So then you could see how this rumor about John staying alive until Jesus' return could have easily been believed back then if the average life expectancy was around 45 years old, and here John is, he's, he's 90, uh, and he's still here. So John writes this gospel, and John makes sure that he clears up this rumor, and he makes it clear that Jesus never promised such a thing. It is very important to John in John 21. It's very important to John at the end of his gospel to clear up this rumor that Jesus never said this, and Jesus never promised that he would remain until the second coming of Jesus. So John deems it necessary to clear up this rumor. So why is it important for John to clear up that rumor? Why is it important? Ask yourself that question. Why is it so important that John pauses here and he addresses this issue and he clears up this rumor? Well, 
If Jesus did say that John will never die, which he didn't, but if Jesus did say that John will never die, and then John died, well, now we have a problem. Then, then Jesus would have given false information and his entire word would become questionable. Jesus is truth and he only speaks truth. So if Jesus did say that John will never die, which he didn't, and then John died, then Jesus would have given false information and his entire word would be somewhat questionable. Jesus is truth and he only speaks and proclaims that which is true. This is also a reminder that just as a rumor was spread in the church back then, which some believed, there are many rumors today in the church regarding certain doctrines that are believed and accepted among Christians, yet they are not biblical. If there were rumors back then in the church, I promise you there are rumors today in the church and there are doctrines and there are things which are believed and embraced by many believers which are not biblical, that are not biblical. Many things that are believed, many rumors that have spread uh, about Christ and about certain doctrines. You know, Jesus had... 12 disciples. If you didn't know this about John, John is really unique. Jesus had 12 disciples and Jesus called 12 disciples to himself. But when you look through the Gospels, <clears throat> when you look through the Synoptic Gospels, when you look through the Gospel of John, when you look through the Gospels, among the 12, you will begin to see that there is even a distinction among the 12 and there are three disciples. There are Peter, James, and John. And even among the 12, those three, Peter, James, and John, they seem to get some special uh, revelation from Jesus. Jesus uh, takes them aside at times and, and reveals certain things to them. For example, the Mount of Transfiguration. Who was there when, when Moses and, and Elijah appeared? It was only Peter, James, and John. When when Jesus told all of the people to get out of the room, when he was healing the 12-year-old the girl who was dead and he brought her back to life, he removed everyone from the room, but, but the disciples uh, were with him. Uh, Peter was with him and, and John was with him. So among the disciples, Peter, James, and John, I call them the three. But then also among the three, something that, that I see is I see John as being the one. Jesus loved all the disciples, but, but John, the disciple who, who leaned on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper, and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, I see him as being the one. And he's the, the only uh, apostle disciple that we know of that lived and, and maybe uh, was not killed for his faith, but he lived and died peacefully a good old age, what tradition tells us. Anyway, back to, that was just a, a side note, but back to the word. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. So we're speaking about John thought that it was necessary to clear up the rumor about the church. 
that he would remain until Jesus returned. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2 says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Don't add to the word, don't take away from the word. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32 says this, Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to, nor take away from it. And Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18 says this, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Do not take away or add to God's word. When you add or take away from God's word, that is how rumors in the church begin. Look at the word if here. Look at the word if. A, a, a two-letter word can cause error. Jesus in verse 23 Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now, if you take away the little two-letter word, if, if you take that word away, it now reads, I will that he remain till I come. And what is that to you? I will that he remain till I come. What is that to you? So do not add or take away from God's word because I've just shown you here what, what a simple two-letter word can, can do and how it can change and how it can start rumors. Verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. The only reasonable and sensible thing to do with all this understanding and revelation that you have received from Jesus Christ. If I was to sum it up in one word, it would be testify. The only reasonable and sensible thing to do with all of this understanding and revelation that you have received from Jesus Christ, if I was to sum it up with one word, the only reasonable thing to do would be testify. Testify. Imagine if John and the other disciples slash apostles did not testify. Imagine if they didn't. It is because of their testifying that we have the gospel today. Because they answered the great commission. Remember where the gospel started, not in America. Uh, America as you know it today with Christianity only began in the 1700s. So the gospel didn't begin here. And also you are not the primary teachers of the gospel message or the most profound teachers of it. The gospel began in Israel. The gospel began in Israel, not in the Western world, but it began in Israel. So people are unlearned when they call this a Western religion. 
you lack understanding if you think that this is a Western religion. And I hate it when ignorant folks call it the white man's religion. You lack understanding. The, the gospel transcends race and color and ethnicity. It transcends male and female. It transcends age. It transcends culture and economic status. It ministers to everyone who was born of woman. This is the gospel and it is for all people. And this is by no means a Western thing or a Western religion. It began in Israel. So I praise God for those who took on the Great Commission. They took it seriously and they spread the gospel from Israel to the ends of the earth. And today we have the gospel because of those first disciples, those, those first apostles, those first men who went out and spread the gospel. And now the baton is in our hands and we're to continue to spread this gospel to the ends of the earth. But we only received it because they took the Great Commission seriously and they spread the gospel. So I praise God for the early disciples and the early apostles. Verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did. Which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And there also, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. We just have a fraction of what Jesus did. But what we have is enough. We only have a fraction of what Jesus did, but what we have is enough. It is enough to keep us learning and maturing for our entire lifetime. Jesus is coming back again. Jesus is coming back again and Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming back again and he is coming soon. We are in, I believe we are in the last of the last of the last days. And he's coming back and he's coming soon. And my question for you today is, are you ready if he comes back today? Are you ready? Are you ready if Jesus comes back today? Are you ready? Because he is coming and he may come back and he could come back very possibly within your lifetime. So are you ready if he comes back during your lifetime? And are you ready if death beats you to the punch? If death occurs before he returns, are you ready? The testimony of John is the truth. This testimony is true. It is truth. This word has been tested and tried and questioned and picked apart for the purpose of scrutiny for centuries and it is still upheld and remains true. 
it remains true. God has preserved his word supernaturally. It was written over 1500 years. This word, the Bible was written over a period of 1500 years with approximately 40 different authors. And it has proven to be true without compromise, without contradictions. You have millions of believers that have trusted in this book and altered their lives because of it. Their, their lives have been transformed by the power and the spirit of this book. The, 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 the power of the word of God and the spirit of God, which is in partnership with this book, has transformed many lives. And you have a book written over a period of 1500 years, think about it, with 40 different authors without contradictions. And they all tell the same story of his redemption and of his grace and of his love. It's a unified story. It's one story. How do you do that over a period of 1500 years with 40 different authors? God. This testimony is true. So today I plead with you to surrender to him. Surrender to him today and watch him transform and change your life. Today is the day of salvation for you. Open your heart today and receive him. This gospel is truth and it is for you. The good news that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for you, to live a perfect life that you and I could not live. He lived on earth and he was without sin. He died at 33 and a half years of age and he didn't die for himself but he died for you and he rose again John 21 John 20 John 21 he he rose again and was victorious death had no power over him when you and I die death has power over us death has rights over us because of the wages of sin is death so death has rights and rule over us but for Christ, it had no rights or rule over him because he was without sin and it was proven in the resurrection. So he rose again, the tomb was empty. And now he says, hey, listen, if you would accept whoever you are, if you would accept my payment for your sin, then just as I rose again from the dead, you too after death will rise again. There is hope for you and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Heaven is for you and I'm preparing a place for you for all eternity and I want to spend it with you and I want to live with you forever but you have to repent. Follow me. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Die to self and serve me. And it's worth it. It is worth it. So I plead with you today to call upon the name of the Lord. That's what you have to do. Call upon him and he will answer you and he will deliver you and he will set you free and he will receive you and he will save you. He will receive you and you will be saved. So call upon him today right where you are at. Don't wait another day for today is the day of salvation. Father, we love you. We bless you and we thank you today for John chapter 21 and for the teaching of your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that this testimony is true. 
We thank you, Lord, that we don't need to add or take away from your word. We thank you, Lord, that we shouldn't compare ourselves to anyone else because we're running our own race and we exist within different seasons of our lives. So Father, help us not to compare ourselves to one another. Help us to follow you. May we repent and continue to repent. May we die to self daily. May we take up our cross and follow you. And may we ultimately serve you with our gifts and talents that you have placed in our hands. And Father, may we glorify you with our life and glorify you with our death. Both Peter and John glorified you with their death. It doesn't matter how they died, whether one was, was crucified for you upside down or one died as an old man peacefully. They both loved you, they both served you and they both glorified you in death. And Father, we thank you for the great commission that went forth. We thank you that they testified of these things and they boldly proclaimed the gospel so that I could receive it, so that the Way City Church could receive it. And Father, that's why we exist as a church today to continue that commission and to proclaim this gospel, this great news to the world. Father, I pray that we would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged, that we would be motivated today as believers to testify of this truth and to live a life boldly sold out to you and for you. We love you, we bless you, and we commit this time into your hands today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.